Um, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, somebody I've talked to when I was working back for Ed Opperman on the Ed Opperman Report. His name is John Hankey, and he's written more documentaries than I've heard. I, I've watched two of his documentaries. They're excellent documentaries. One is titled Dark Legacy, which is about the murder of John F. Kennedy. And the other one is Dark Legacy 2, which is about the murder of John F. Kennedy Jr. And it just came to my knowledge that he had made another documentary during the Trump administration. The title of that documentary is Trump for Real. So we can talk about that as well. But his documentaries are very, very well researched. Anyway, John Hankey, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, I also made one called COVID-19 Inside Job. Okay, well, I don't know if you know that too. So <laughs> so you've been busy, much busier, and you're working on a new project too, which we can talk about as well. But maybe like for people who haven't heard your name, just go back to the beginning. What led you to start researching these topics and, and put together these excellent documentaries? Um, well. <laughs> That's probably a long story. Take your time. It, it is, but we have to, all the time we want, right? Um, the can I? Is it possible for you to post stuff so that if that you can put up a link? All right, so we should put up a link for my COVID video and for my okay, for my Trump video. Yes, let's but, do that. Um, when I was, I remember in the right sixth now, tell, grade. Tell me where's where. Let's find your Trump video. Oh, I'll have to look them up. They're, okay. They're, but we'll, so let's talk about that right now, how when I made the Trump video, it was a, instantly suppressed. The, the instant that I uploaded it, tried to upload it to YouTube, I then tried to search for it. And if you put in my name and the name of the video in quotes, it would not come up instantly. So I'm on a list, right? If, if that video got censored instantly, I'm on a list. My work is on a list. Okay, um, <laughs> get over it. Uh, anyway, so wait, how did I get started? When I was in the sixth grade, I remember that I decided that history was my thing. And when I was in the seventh grade, I remember that I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Um, my family is German, but they immigrated probably in the mid-1800s. Uh, there was a democratic rebellion in Germany, and I'm under the impression that that's when a lot of very progressive pro-democracy Germans came to the United States and a lot of them settled in Cincinnati and my family settled across the river in Frankfurt, Kentucky. Um, my grandmother's birth certificate is in German, but anyhow, so I was very, um, I had this, this dark cloud over my head about, you know, we're German and um, Hitler and so on. And so I was very interested in that and I read the rise and fall of the Third Reich which maybe people have heard of it. They're my age. They've Shire. heard of it because of Shire. whatever. And in any case, it's garbage, um, <laughs> which, which is in the Trump video um, that right, yeah, did you, you got to see the Trump video. It just found it on media time network is if this looks like yours, this is, it is up, but it doesn't, uh, you have to type in the whole thing. Well, in any case, you can put up links for people. Yeah. Yes. And so the one of the things that I learned, good gravy. Yeah, I went down, I walked to the local library and I came back with a baby stroller with about 12, 13 books. Everything that they had on the shelf on Hitler, I brought home. And focusing on the issue of how it was that Hitler came to power, I come to discover that every single book cited the same report 
called I Was Hitler's Boss, published by the New York Times in their history supplement in 1942. And this guy, his name is Captain Mayer, M-A-Y-R, and he says that he was working for German Army Intelligence, that he, uh, how did, I'm trying to think of a way to put this briefly, and I guess we have time and I'm not going to, uh, I'll try to make it as succinct as I possibly can, but at the end of World War One, the, The British aristocracy, who are the, really the villains, I'm discovering, right, that those are the guys who killed John Kennedy, the British aristocracy. They're the main villains on the planet at the moment. And they're very, they're, you know, they killed Princess Diana. They, they're very, very, very evil people. And they're very anti-democratic. Anyhow, um, they sent supervisors in to supervise the German surrender. People don't know this. Do you know what ended World War One? Do you know why World War One ended? Well, supposedly it was the something was signed on what eleventh of. Uh, well, but why? Oh. Why did the Germans lay down their arms? I don't know. Tell me. Well, you won't find it in the history book, so you kind of have to come to this conclusion on your own. There were, there were communist revolutions in Berlin and Munich. And the allies said, and, and the Brit and the, the Germans, right, the, the bad guys on both sides said, well, we have to put a stop to this. And they took the German army and they expunged, they eliminated, they, they would bring the soldiers in one at a time and say, what do you think about the Kaiser? And if you said, oh, he's a great guy, you kept your job. And if you said he needs to be shot, they would send you home so that they then had something that they called the Free Corps, F-R-E-I Corps, and they sent those guys to Munich and to Berlin to exterminate the revolution. And when they got to Munich, after they went to the city hall and killed everybody who was there, they then went to the army barracks and arrested all of the soldiers and said, you guys are communists, because if you weren't, you would have done this, right? You're sitting here and you allowed this communist revolution to take place. You're a bunch of communists. And they then tortured everybody to find out who the, um, who the leaders were. And Hitler, who had been a minor officer among the communist organization inside the local Munich um, military organization ratted out all of his friends and then got recruited into German army intelligence. This is the story that Captain Mayer tells how Hitler, he says Hitler was like a, a beat wet dog and he brought him in and Hitler begged for a job and they put him teaching him anti-Semitism and teaching him pro-aristocracy economics and in the course of their training him to be an intelligence operative for the, the German military, Captain Mayer says, he heard Hitler in the hallway arguing with his friends and noticed that this guy would get mad and start yelling, but that he was, he was eloquent and, but he, and passionate. And so they said, this is the guy. And they took him and they recruited him to give, they taught him to give speeches. 
mayor says they would bring in a, a platoon of soldiers who were, were being sent home and Hitler would stand up in front of the platoon of soldiers and give a speech. The soldiers would leave. The officers would critique Hitler's speech and they would then send in the next group and Hitler would give the speech again. And when his training was done, they sent him to organize the Nazi party and they sent everybody you ever heard of as a leader of the Nazi party was sent by German army intelligence to organize the Nazi party. The Nazi party was completely, according to Captain Mayer, published in the New York Times in 1942 and cited by every single work that there is that discusses Hitler's career at this point in time. They all cite Captain Meyer. None of them suggest that there's anything. Of course, they don't tell you the story that I just told, right? You, you have to go to the 1942 New York Times and get the article. Actually, a professor, I think it's at UC Santa Barbara, has posted it. If you Google, I was Hitler's boss, it will come up. Anyhow, that's who Trump is. Right, so Trump, Trump is, is the guy. Kind of he was recruited to be the guy, and they handed him. That's, what that's what's in my video, and it's what Cambridge Analytica did a study. You want to say something about Cambridge Analytica so your audience knows? Let me let you talk for a minute. About right. Well, I, it has nothing to do with Cambridge, but it has a lot to do with Analytica. It has a fancy sounding name, but it was just a means of a group coming together. It's basically uh, cutting edge high tech propaganda is my understanding. I've done a show on oh. it. Yeah. They are military. They are military psyop warriors and they are responsible there's a thing on netflix today called the great hack and i you know it's like anything else you you have to listen to the part that's not garbage and you have to ignore the part that is garbage anyway uh, there's a lot of very 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 good stuff in it they let you know they had a hidden camera while they're talking to the head of Cambridge Analytica. And he says, oh, yeah, we did Brexit, but don't tell anybody that's a secret. Right. And there's a guy in my video, there's a guy named Wiley. He's got pink hair and he was the first guy to come out. And he says, oh, yeah, we built, we brought in focus groups and we determined what it is that the that Steve Bannon's candidate would have to say in order to get everybody's ears to perk up and their hair to stand up on the back of their neck and for them to get excited and they learned that they had to say deep state and they learned that they had to say build a wall and they had to learn they learned that they had to say that they would rebuild infrastructure and trump got up and and so trump got up and said all of those things but one of the things you learned from wiley is that they came up with the program and apparently Bannon took it to Cruz, and apparently with a name like Cruz, Cruz refused to say build the wall. Interesting. And so they dumped Cruz in favor of Trump because Trump doesn't have a problem with pushing racism against Latino people, which apparently uh, held Cruz back. In any case, so they, so they developed the program, they took it to Cruz, Cruz said no, and then they went out and found Trump. So the Trump is a creation the way that Hitler was of the, of the same intelligence people. The, in in this, the movie, The Great Hack, that's on Netflix, they say that the British government told Cambridge, you cannot export this technology 
without our permission. This is military technology. This is a weapon. And you cannot sell this weapon to people that we don't regard as our allies. So you have to get our permission before we will allow you to sell this weapon. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I remember so, that. Yeah. So, so welcome to 1984. <laughs> Anyhow, that's where we're at. Right, and I mean the Trump uh, Trump phenomenon is really something else. And they were always trying to recruit him, though. I think they just found the right place and time in 2016. I but, uh, I, I won't dispute that. Um, so that's your just Trump for real documentary, right? And then yes. let's see. So that's it. So you're on IMDb. And then you did another one after that, right? The COVID-19 one. The COVID-19 one. And what I can do that, I think, rather quickly, which is that COVID-19. Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> anyway, I haven't thought about any of this stuff in a while. And when I stop and think about it for a second, oh, my goodness, I just remembered. Um, I was first tipped by the fact that uh, the people at Oxford, not Cambridge this time, Oxford, you know, the, the British have an Oxford vaccine, right? You're, you're familiar with the British having an Oxford vaccine? No. Oh, you're not? No. Oh, the, the vaccine that they give out in Britain was made by Oxford. Oh, and what has been done is they took the spike. You're familiar with the spike? I know the spike is attached to the virus, the SARS virus, right? The spike is the part of the virus... It's, a, you know, whatever, the DNA sequ sequence, but it creates a spike on the outside of the virus that attaches itself to the human cells inside the lungs and is thereby able to enter the cells and infect them, right? But so the spike is very, very key to the infectiousness and the lethality of the virus. And so what Cambridge did, well, the, the vaccine that Cambridge is producing and distributing throughout Britain takes that spike and they took a virus that chimpanzees get um, that, you know, a cold virus, but that humans don't get. For some reason, chimps get it and humans are immune to it. And they took that virus and they inserted the DNA for the spike into the DNA of the chimp virus so that when they squirt, and then they can reproduce it massively, right? And they, so they squirt a dose of this virus into people and your immune system reacts to the spike and produces antibodies that will protect you from the virus. Okay, so I, I saw this, but I also saw that, you know, what I just described to you is a very, 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 very fancy technology, right? And these guys, I observed, had the, uh, they had the vaccine almost instantly. And so it, I concluded from that that they must have had the virus in advance. I come to find out, somebody sent me, a friend of mine sent me a video. It's this global virologist conference right? And it's led by one of the leading virologists in Britain. And this woman has invited virologists from all over the world to participate. And they invited the woman who was the head of the Oxford Vaccine Project to discuss 
the development of the vaccine. And she says that they had the vaccine in 2018. And I went online and found the application that they they submitted to test the vaccine in 2018. And they got the vaccine, I think it's very clear, from Rocky Mountain Labs, which is a U.S. military bioweapons lab in Montana, I believe. Rocky Mountain Labs. <laughs> and I went to the Rocky Mountain Labs website, and there's a guy... One of the guys on the website is displaying his collection of bats. So they had been looking for the bat virus and they found it and they, and on and on and on. I mean, I could go on for two hours about this and I won't, I'm not really that interested, but it's very, 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 very clear that COVID is a bioweapon developed by you. Well, is it developed by the U.S. or is it developed by NATO? Because you will notice, and, and to what purpose? Um, which is skipping ahead, and that's fine. I, you know, we're not going to be here all day long. Uh, so we're going to skip ahead over a lot of the details um, of the really, really um, just an enormous amount of of data in articles that come from within the virology community, right? I'm not talking about QAnon crap, and I'm not talking about anything from any news source. I'm talking about science, right? The, the magazine Science. I, I wasn't really aware. Science is a really, really hardcore scientific magazine for scientists, right? They print scientific articles about scientific research, and they're very, 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 very technical. And the footnotes in those articles go to the research papers done by the the doctors, the scientists who are uh, typically the authors of these articles. Anyhow, the, so let's jump ahead past all of that really technical and interesting research to the question of why. And, but you'll, it, there's a number of things to notice. Um, one of the things to notice is that COVID started appearing all over the place in, right. in October, right? It, it appeared in late December in China, but you, you, there's an NPR interview with this, the head of, of the task force that's fighting COVID in Italy, who says, oh yeah, it was, it was here it was around, killing around, people. Around. Yes, in November. Right. It was massively in Lombardy in Italy in November, this guy says, um, and he got fiercely attacked, of course, because, you know, how dare you contradict? Oh, geez, dude, I'm only I'm only the leader of the, of the campaign in Italy. The doctors in France said, hey, you know what? Uh, COVID has a very, very um, distinctive. Um, radiology footprint, right? If, if you look at an x-ray from somebody who has COVID, it does not look like somebody who has pneumonia. And so these French doctors said, well, let's start looking back through all of our old x-rays. And lo and behold, uh, I, from around October in uh, Eastern France, there's all of these x-rays that show that, that people had COVID. They started going through the sewer water in Spain and found COVID in Spain in March. Wow. And it's, it's all in the video. <laughs> and, 
And you know, this is this is this is NBC. I think is reporting this stuff. Well, you know, it's some little thing on their website that, that you know didn't. If it isn't on the nightly news every night for a week, nobody's aware of it, right? If they give it a thirty-second spot one night, everybody forgets. It, it, it doesn't come to anybody's attention. That's just the way that, that that's human the, that's beings the, are. That's the point of the media is to hit you with information and then make you forget it. So yeah, well, they right, they bury you, and if they right, they right. bury you with con with if they contradict it, oh, you know, one one of the things I'm working on today, there, for, I think five days at least. The media reported that the weapon that was found in the book depository was a German Mauser. Well, it was a German Mauser, and the, the officer who reported it wrote a, an affidavit. It's in the Warren Commission documents. This is the guy who found the weapon, and he describes in great detail. He's a weapons expert. He owned a sporting goods store. He was very, 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 very familiar with rifles of all sort, and he talks about how they found a German Mauser. This Roger Craig was with him, another Dallas deputy, and Craig has talked about how they found a Mauser, but you have Walter Cronkite reporting that it was a Mauser, and, and on and on and on. But if, Craig, if, Craig had to die for that, too. Yeah. No kidding. He had to die for a lot of things. Well, I'm really delighted to hear that you're familiar with Roger Craig. He's a really, really important hero. A very important uh, piece in that, and part of the cover-up, too, yeah. So. There, anyway. I think it was in the Men Who Killed Kennedy documentary features him, and he just sees that he says people are trying to kill me all the time. It's like unbelievable, and then they finally killed him. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll come back to him. Okay. If, actually, actually, um, so but yeah. Um, so the I'm sorry to interrupt. It was the Mauser which became the Carcano, right? Or the, well, the the thing is that we were talking about how COVID nineteen was in Europe. Well, before it appeared in China in late December, and it's my observation that the what they were planning to do is kill all the retirees. I don't know if you've noticed, but ever since they instituted Social Security, the right wing, the Republicans have been bitching and moaning and moaning and complaining and saying, we got to do something, we got to do something, we got to do something. And anytime anybody suggests anything concrete, that person doesn't win another election. I mean, when Jeb Bush came out saying, yes, we have to, we have to cut the cost of Social Security and Medicare, he got 4% when he was running for president. Well, and that and the billboards. That's a, huge pie, that's a huge piece of the expenditure, domestic expenditure pie for the United States is that. Well, it's a huge piece of the part that isn't military, <laughs> right? If you if you cut the military out, yes, it's a huge piece. Anyway, so but you know, you you if you find somebody laying at the street, you find somebody with a smoking gun. If the guy with the smoking gun doesn't tell you why he killed him, you have to guess. And so you know, we we're looking at the the fact that these guys. Oh my goodness! If if the mRNA vaccines, there's there's a TED talk given by some woman, some very, very astute and and articulate scientist explaining, good gravy, the sophistication of an mRNA vaccine. And you will notice the Russians don't have an mRNA vaccine. The Chinese don't have an mRNA vaccine. Nobody on the planet outside of Moderna and Pfizer have an mRNA vaccine, and neither of them have two mRNA vaccines, and 
Moderna doesn't have two products. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Moderna yes. has one product, and it's right. an mRNA vaccine that they pulled out of their hat in two days, they say. And when you listen to this woman talk, it's clear that that technology is the product of 20 years of very, 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 very intensive bioweapons research by the U.S. military, because you can't use a bioweapon until you have a vaccine, right? That's you can you can find the disease, but how do you keep it from killing your ruling elite if you don't have a vaccine? You That's what they're doing in all those BSL level four places is having the virus and having the solution. So their tests are all based upon virus creation virus solution. So that's part of the whole thing. That's what they're doing in those bioweapons facilities. They, they have hundreds of labs that you don't know the names of, right? You never heard of Rocky, Rocky Mountain Labs, and that's the main one outside of Fort Detrick, right? Oh, what do you, um, the there weapons lab. There was a Canadian lab. lab, too. There was a weapons lab. It was rifle of Chinese spies. I didn't know. Well, that and NATO. Yeah. NATO does this stuff. It's because you'll notice now, I, I was coming to this, that um, see, when they, when they first released COVID, um, they found out, they discovered to their horror that if you give somebody COVID and they have a strong immune system and they don't get a severe case of COVID, they are not going to spread severe cases of COVID. And, you know, anybody in your audience, you take a couple of weeks and do the research that I did and you will find out that what I'm telling you is really, really hardcore truth. If you have a mild case of COVID, what you spread is immunity. And that's what they found when they did the research in Italy, when they down the, did the research in Spain, and when they did the research in France, was that there were these communities where people were getting immune, but they weren't getting sick. And for somebody to die from COVID, they have to get massively infected. And so it's my guess well, it's, it's interesting. This, the guy, the head of the Oxford labs, the head, not the head of the, the vaccine project within the lab, but the head of the labs was talking about, oh, yes, we're going to come up with inhalers. And you'll, you know, you'll go to the doctor and open your mouth and he'll squirt the inhaler. You know what an inhaler is, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. And he'll squirt one of those and you'll inhale it. And the, the vaccine will go straight into your lungs. And he said this and it makes absolute sense, and they never came out with it. And I suspect that the reason they didn't come out with it is because they didn't want to draw people's attention to it because that's how they are spreading it, and that they would get on subways in Brooklyn, and some guy with an inhaler would, you know, stick it under whatever. You know, they somehow surreptitiously spread this around because if you don't get hit in the face with a massive dose, you don't die from it. And if you don't get, if you get hit in the face with a massive dose, you then get a mass, you get massively infected and you can then spread it to people massively who will then die from it, right? But if you just get a mild case, what you spread is inoculation. You run around inoculating the people around you. So they, they found here's out the, early. Here's the thing, John, they don't want to tell the public, Fauci and all those bums, they don't want to tell the public about any immunity, natural immunity or anything ever. That's how you know it's a total scam is because they're um, not uh, educating the public about natural immunity at all. Well, one of the things you find with JFK that I find with JFK, you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 70. I've been doing this since I was in the sixth grade. <laughs> and one of the things I'm finding out is that, and, and we'll come to it, we'll come back to it in a minute, but the, the Zapruder film is a fraud. 
Did you know that the Zapruder film is a fraud? No, not entirely. No. Well, <laughs> what do you mean, not entirely? Let me put well, it this I think way. that it does show that there's a shot from the front, right? Like, yes. I mean, even Oliver Stone yes. putting that in his film. So yes. that that in itself is contradictory to the Warren Report, which is a joke. Well, so but we'll 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 get into all of that, and and maybe we should get into it now, and and let all this stuff go by the wayside. So so look to your audience. If you if you're interested in this virus stuff, watch my video. Um, you'll post a link, and people can watch it. Yeah. Well, you'll have and, to give me that link because I can't. I don't know if I can find. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you we're not going to tell them now because I don't. I I could go get it, but I'm not gonna. Um, and, you know, to take me. And then what will we do with it, right? How do we then post it once I find it? Anyhow, so I'll send it to you and you'll post it on your website. I will. Yeah? Yes, I will. Okay, very I'll good. I'll put so, it on all the links of this. And once it gets moved to and distributed to all podcasts, I'll put it in the links. Yeah. Okay. Well, so it's my observation that they set out to kill all of the retirees in Western Europe and in the United States. And that, therefore, in Africa, there were all these people going around inoculating each other. And in India, there were all these people going around inoculating each other. And at the beginning of the pandemic, there were only mild cases in India and in Africa. And the epidemiological community started to get really up in arms about, hey, what the hell? Why is it that this doesn't make any sense? Everything, everything that they... There was an article in the New Yorker magazine that was like 15 pages long, written by a really brilliant um, and articulate epidemiologist about how, you know, these guys are used to developing computer models and being accurate to, if they're off by 3%, 3%, they get upset about it. That's a bad error. And they were off by 20,000 percent. Their predictions for Africa and India were off by 20,000 percent because they can't work into their calculations that there are spreaders going around deliberately spreading this stuff. And they could not come close to accounting for the differences in the death rates between India and Europe. And anyway, we're going to go on. Um, so I wanted to say that people should watch Kill the Messenger on Netflix as well. It's about the murder of Gary Webb. And I'll take 45 seconds and say that when Gary Webb was murdered, I hired a private investigator who went to the morgue where he was and ran into Gary's wife and got her to sign a document giving me permission to give him an, an autopsy because he, he had been shot in the head twice and they ruled it a suicide. And uh, Cyril Wecht, do you know that name? Yeah, I've interviewed Cyril Wecht. Cyril, I called Cyril Wecht, and he was, yeah, I, I saw that, he says. And yes, I will, I'll do it for half price. I'm very anxious to do that autopsy. It's very, very rudimentary to, to show whether the person was alive or dead when the second shot was fired. And he says it's just an outrage that there was no autopsy, just an outrage that in a two-headshot suicide, there was no autopsy. And it's an outrage that um, he, he said that he, in all of his years, he'd never seen a two-headshot suicide. It, it doesn't exist. Um, so, I think there's a picture of the double tap into his head, yeah, somewhere. 
right? No. I, I thought I, I saw a picture of it. Well, my investigator took pictures, so okay. I have them if if you were interested. But um, it, it seems that one of them was fired into his ear um, so that there isn't really a bullet hole. And then there's another bullet hole. Um, anyway, it doesn't matter. The point well, is I saw that. something photoshopped then. But yeah, no. You, you will not find anywhere a news article in any magazine, not The Nation and not, not any so-called, not The Intercept and not Mother Jones and not any of these so-called leftist magazines and certainly not in any of the mainstream magazines, will you find anything that says Gary Webb was murdered? You won't find it anywhere. It's just insane. But if you watch the movie, I went to see it in the movie theater, and at the end of the movie, they, you know, they tell you the whole story about how he's exposing um, the Bush crime family and, and how they're completely responsible for the crack epidemic. Completely. If, if, if you weren't dealing CIA crack, you got busted. Uh, but it wasn't a problem because you could deal CIA crack. That would, wouldn't be a problem anyway. And if you were dealing CIA crack like F F Ricky Ross, you'd get a phone call. Uh, you don't, don't be at this time in this place because they're waiting for you. Um, anyway, when we're sitting in the theater and it comes up on the screen that Gary Webb um, was found dead with two shots in the head, black, new screen, white type on white on black screen. It was ruled a suicide and you could hear the audience gasp. And when you read the movie reviews in the L.A. Times, the movie reviews in the L.A. Times agreed with the audience that I was sitting among that God, how that's so ridiculous. How could you rule a two headshot suicide? I mean, a two headshot death, a suicide. And the, the New Yorker, which is, you know, just a piece of garbage 99% of the time, but occasionally, right? It printed that, that COVID article that was really, really valuable. They accidentally print truth, the truth every, every once in a great while. And then they don't watch the movie reviews, right? That's not on their radar. And so the movie reviewer for the New Yorker said, oh, my God, <laughs> two headshot suicide. What are you talking about? Anyway, anyway. What was the articles that he wrote for the San Jose Mercury Dark Forces? What was it called? Oh. That series that he got really in trouble with, yeah. He, well, and it, it ended up becoming a book. And it's, yeah. I have it. Um. That's I the don't one know. That just got him in all kinds of grief. Dark Alliance is the name. Dark Alliance, very good, and he got um, he got an award for it till he got fired, <laughs> right? Anyway, anyway, so um, so in in the movie, I I made this movie. I became became very very deeply engrossed and involved in the Kennedy assassination when I was, you know, I was a, I was a straight A student. Right, I had a 3.97 in college, and I did the last three years. I did in one year. I'm good at I'm good at academics. Um, you know, I'm stupid enough. I do dumb things all the time. Just ask my wife. But I'm really good at, at academics and research. Anyway, um, so I was doing really well in college, and this friend of mine showed me a showed me this Bruder film. So is this picture not legit, John? Sorry to bother you, but is that a fake picture? Uh, That's hang the on. one that I saw. Oh, no. Yeah, that, I, my guy took that picture. So that's a real picture. So that's the one that I saw. That's interesting. Now, where did you see that? 
just like just research weird posting boards and things like that. Like you know, it just okay, bounces that's, around through the underground. That's interesting. Um, my guy took that research, Paul Kangas. Um, wet to the you know, good grief! It makes me believe in miracles. He shows up at the at the mortuary, and the wife is there, and she he gets her to give him permission to go in and examine the body and take pictures, and and has her sign a, a you know a piece of paper giving us permission to to do the autopsy. And so then, so Sirowet agrees to do the autopsy, and and I'm making arrangements with his guy about how we're going to transport the body, and while that's happening the forces of evil descend upon this woman and persuade her that she needs to burn the body. <laughs> and wow. she, called, she called me up to apologize. And I said, sweetheart, you do not need to apologize. Please don't. And don't feel bad about it. Whatever you do, you're, first of all, you're alive and he's dead. And you need to take care of you. Secondly, Cyril Wett says, you know, it, 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 if we had found out like we send the body, Cyril Wick says, yes, he was, he, was, he was dead when the second shot was fired. What does that tell us? Not very much, but the fact that he, two headshot suicide and no autopsy, what does that tell you? Well, it tells you who killed him. That's what it tells you, right? right? Uh, my, was, my interview with Cyril Wick was one of my favorite interviews because he's so old school, he can't use computers. So I had to get the phone and <laughs> shove it up to my microphone. So I had my microphone and I was talking to him. Oh my guy. goodness. And that's the way he conducted it. And it, it worked out. So okay. that's my story. Well, so, and I'm so. like, he, I mean, I agree with the serial whack on so many. Oh yeah. Because some I've researched and actually doing my smiley face killer stuff. He ran into the same autopsy on one of the victims and just blew that whole narrative of this kid being accidentally drowning out of the water. So. Kudos to well, and and what's his name? Who's the um, the pervert? Jer Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein, yeah. He reviewed the Jeffrey Epstein autopsy and said, "Oh, that guy was murdered." Yeah. yeah. And in fact, um, and, and he forced another leading autopsy guy whose name is escaping me. Which Baden, is Baden, Baden. Yeah, Baden. He forced Baden to admit, "Yes, that's right. I can't stand here next to you and." expose myself in that fashion yes that guy was murdered uh anyhow so anyhow. anyway gary webb you were somewhat involved in this i kind of tangent i mean the, the the amount of drugs that are brought into this country are off the charts it's a huge industry it's just under the surface oh. it's a multi-billion dude hundreds of billions a year just you've off heard, the charts yeah you've heard of the opium war yes that's those guys. The guys who did the opium war are the guys who make money off of drugs today. That's them. And they launder it using casinos. And then they get guys like Sheldon Adelson. They get guys like Sheldon Adelson who, you know, he gets his cut. And then he gives hundreds of millions of dollars to the right wing to protect them. <laughs> right? They've, oh, man, that's it's so dirty. That's how they finance their candidates. Um, that's one of the reasons why Las Vegas was born, is for a money laundering from the foundation of Las Vegas. Well, and the guy, the guy who shot 60 people in Las Vegas, I don't know. Paddock, Stephen Paddock, I think his name is. Yeah, whatever. Everybody knows, right? There was the shooting and 60 people died. And it's because somebody in one of the casinos, they were getting out of line. They weren't towing the line and they needed to be 
brought to attention. The the guy who did the shooting was so obviously a money launderer, right? He owned airplanes. He owned like five little houses right next to five little airports all over the place. And he would go into these casinos and launder money, right? He'd walk in and, and drop millions and millions of dollars, um, which is, you know, it's a contribution. It's a deposit in the casino. And then the casino would then... Um, Shave off the top, yeah. Well, I don't know how they do it, right? If perhaps they send their guy in and their guy wins a million dollars and walks out and pays taxes on it, so it's all now legitimate, right? It's now, it's no longer dark money. It's now uh, laundered money. Anyway, anyway, so um, 20 years old, this friend of mine shows me a copy of the Zapruder film. Oh, the, the Zapruder film. There are... 20 witnesses that say that the limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll. All of the motorcycle cops have made audio tapes where they talk about the limousine stopping in front of the grassy knoll. Yarborough, Senator Yarborough, 20 feet behind Kennedy's car, says the car stopped in front of the grassy knoll. He, it's, in his, it's in his Warren Commission affidavit. Is everybody listening to that? The Warren Commission documents... You know, there's all this, this squabble about, well, release the documents, release the documents. It, it, I got news for you, boys and girls. It's all in the Warren Commission documents. It's all in the Warren Commission documents. Hoover was an, uh, Hoover. Oswald was an FBI agent. It's in the Warren Commission documents. It couldn't be possibly be more clear. Good gravy. Ruby was an FBI agent, says Hoover, to the Warren Commission. Anyway, well, well, he wasn't really working for us. He only had nine contacts, and it's documented that he went in and bought micro um, cameras and micro tape recorders and micro microphones at the same time that he's meeting with the FBI spying on CIA gun running. He read this, It's also documented that he was running guns for the CIA at the same time that the he was he was being visited on nine different occasions by FBI agents. That's what Oswald was doing. Wow. Oswald is the guy who identified for Hoover where Lake Pontchartrain was and what they were doing. Um, but we're getting a little bit out of order. So I dropped that bomb. Um, on my list, on my notes that I'm looking at over here is that we should talk about my first movie, Dark Legacy. Sure. Let's start because it does. It's basically about the death or murder of John F. Kennedy, right? That's right. And um, it it was originally called JFK to the Bush Connection, and as JFK to the Bush Connection, it had millions of views on YouTube. And as I was mentioning to you um, before we started, my semi latest video COVID-19 that is COVID-19 inside job is my latest and the day I posted it instantly seconds after I posted it I searched for it to see whether you know in fact it was available and you can put in my name and you can put in the title in quotes and it will not come up if you type in COVID-19 inside job it will not come up well so is that Amazon yeah is that Amazon um I don't know that Amazon ever carried it for, they may have carried it on prime for free for a minute was it Until, april 13th 2021 yeah so um it's and some no no that was it i saw the cover that, that, that was, that's my cover so um, it's a noble, it looks like. yep. oh really yep. 
Oh, very cool. Um, I, well, you, we will for fourteen ninety nine. Well, I will give you the link, and people can see it for free. I'm happy for people to see it for free. I didn't make it to make any money off of it. Uh, or if you want to contribute to the John Hankey Fund to try to make the next movie, I don't make any money on this stuff. Um, anyway, right? It all I, I pay people to promote it. I, I don't. I don't get a nickel back anyhow. Um, you will post a link and people can watch it for free. And if they like it, they can then go buy it. And some of that money will end up in the pocket of the guy who posted it on Barnes and Noble for me. Anyway, where were we? Um, uh, you were kind of bouncing around. You were headed back to your first. No, no, I, I yeah, I, I know. I, I just needed to go back to my notes. But so, so I put it out. It was called JFK to the, the Bush connection and it got millions of hits and Oh, and Alex Jones, that dirty CIA bastard, posted it on his website. It's the most popular, I believe it's the most popular video, or it was for years and years. Um, Netflix carried, well, so then I turned it into Dark Legacy, right? I paid a, an editor $15,000 to make it look nice um, and turned it into Dark Legacy. And it was on Netflix for two years. And, you know, at one point I looked at it, it, it had 20,000 reviews. That's a lot of reviews. Yeah, right? So it was, it was getting a lot of action on Netflix. Um, they also did the next one on John Kennedy Jr., Dark Legacy 2. But I only mentioned it because we were talking about Netflix for a minute. Anyhow, in that video, I'm going to summarize Dark Legacy. I'm going to summarize my first movie on JFK if that's okay with you. Please do, yeah, go ahead. Well, the, the centerpiece of it is, um, it has a, an introduction, and I've, it's called Dark Legacy, and you find it where you find it. You can you can buy it for, on Prime for like two bucks. Um, and the first 15 minutes is, you know, I, did, I don't, if you don't mind my saying so, it's the best 15 minutes on the Kennedy assassination that was ever made. It's, it's, it's short and it's clear and it's got Cyril wrecked and it's, you know, it's got all the best stuff. Um, and it focuses, you know, the primary issue of the people in the audience who don't know, but Kennedy's, Kennedy's press secretary points to his temple and says a shot right through the head. And he's talking to the, to the um, assembled Reporters who reported, it's on the front page of the New York Times, an entry wound on the right temple and huge exit wound in the back of the head. And that's what all of the doctors in Dallas say. So you don't really need the Zapruder film to know that he got shot from the front right. It's, it's all there in the medical evidence, but it's also there in the Zapruder film. Five days after the assassination, Hoover wrote a memo and the Nation magazine wrote about it um, actually, uh, Mark Lane in, uh, what's it called? Plausible Denial. And let me make a huge pitch for Mark Lane's Plausible Denial. I would say that um, that's the second best book that was ever written on the Kennedy assassination. The best one, I think, is... Um, Unspeakable? Yes, JFK and the Unspeakable, which is, uh, it, 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 you know, there's two, there's, there's the FBI memo that I'm about to talk about written by Hoover that names Bush 
And there's another FBI memo written by an FBI agent who talked to Bush the day of the assassination about the assassination, in which Bush tells the FBI agent that he's staying at the Dallas Sheraton. How did neither of those memos get mentioned in a book with 5,000 footnotes? So I can't answer that question. But if you allow the fact that, you know, Bush was a shooter. He was a low-level operative at the time, right? He went on to become president of the United States and head of the CIA and father of the president of the United States. He went on to, because, right, he got his ticket punched. What, what did the mafia say? He made his bone in Dallas on November 22nd. Um, oh, my God. The, well, anyway, so we'll, we'll get to all of this. So there's this memo written by Hoover that they called Bush into FBI headquarters. You hear what I'm telling you? Oswald was an agent. Ruby was an agent. Both of them were at a number of different witnesses, Marita Lorenz being my favorite, so I'll mention her. Marita Lorenz also wrote a book. I have no clue what it's called. But she's, she testified in the plausible denial trial that she and the other Operation Mongoose Cubans in Florida, in Miami, I probably got into cars, two station wagons full of guns and drove into Dallas on November 21st and pulled into a hotel and Ruby and Oswald both showed up and E. Howard Hunt shows up and starts passing out maps and money and Marita Lorenz says, wait a minute, <laughs> I do raids on Cuba. What the hell are we doing in Dallas? Get me out of here. And she gets on a plane and flies back to Florida and, and Kennedy gets murdered the next day. But anyhow, the point is that the FBI knew. I don't know what the FBI didn't know, but they called Bush into FBI headquarters. And if the Hoover memo had said, we called George Bush into FBI headquarters in order to ask him about the Kennedy assassination, and he bullshitted us, and we ought to prosecute him for all the lies that he told, if they had called him in, and if, if Hoover had written that memo, we would never have seen it. But he didn't write that memo. He wrote a memo. The title of the memo was Assassination of John F. Kennedy. And in the first paragraph, he says, well, the State Department has said that they're concerned that the anti-Castro Cubans might try to retaliate for this attack on the United States by what they think was Cuba. They think Castro killed John Kennedy, and, and so we want the FBI to investigate that. Well, that's all horseshit. The, everybody in Operation Mongoose was in Dealey Plaza, and three of them were arrested as shooters, and one of them was questioned by the police as a shooter, and we'll get to that uh, later. That's in Dark Legacy 3. That's in in the movie that I'm working on today, <laughs> every day for the last eight years. Anyhow, anyhow, um, in the memo, it's Hoover calls these guys misguided. In the first paragraph, he calls them misguided anti-Castro Cubans. So says Hoover, the FBI, on behalf of the State Department, investigated the response of the misguided anti-Castro Cubans, meaning the CIA's Cubans, to the Kennedy assassination and whether they were planning an attack on Cuba in response to it. And he says, we found that they were all brokenhearted at the murder of John Kennedy. They were just beside themselves at the parties that they were throwing. <laughs> anyway, he says, 
And then down in the last paragraph, he says that we relayed this information on November 23rd to Mr. George Bush of the CIA. And I'm surprised you hadn't heard that, but I mean, well, this is... I, I, I watched your video at least twice, but a long okay. time ago. Well, I remember, well, like, you showed documents that that there was evidence that he was around in... I think it was, the, right, the FBI had documents that evidence George Bush was in Dallas on that day, November 22nd. Oh, and he has so many connections to all of these guys, right? It's There's one of my favorites is there is a letter from, I believe it's from Prescott to, to Dulles, but it might be from Dulles to Prescott, and it doesn't matter. It says that we want to talk to you about your, uh, the, your, the work that's going on in the, the Caribbean. Um, we wanna, I want to talk to you about some private things that I have going on in the Caribbean. At the and I'm not going into all this. There's a there's such solid ties. Well, I guess I'm gonna say that George Bush worked in Skull and Bones. Yeah, sorry, he he was in Skull and Bones when he was in Yale. He left and went to a guy who was identified as an F by by Prescott in a letter written by Prescott introducing C.D. Jackson to somebody as a CIA recruiter. He went, George Bush went to work for C.D. Jackson, the CIA recruiter, and he then left and went and founded Zapata Offshore, where he was working in the Caribbean, right in the middle of CIA operations. So, and, and you know, all of these mongoose guys, I believe Sturgis. Kiki Sturgis. Rodriguez, Chichi Rodriguez, or Kiki, what was that guy's name who killed, um, uh, Che Guevara, what was his name? He was friends with Bush Sr. Forgot his name. Oh, um Chichi Rodriguez, is that right? No, that's not it. Um when you it, let, let's set that aside. Okay. In, in any case. Okay. No, but but yes, he was close, he was close friends with Bush. Everybody, all of the Mongoose people of Gary Jerry Hemmings, for example, and I think Frank Sturgis and Marita Lorenz have all said, Oh yeah, Bush was at the Mongoose camps. He was the in charge of hiring. If you were looking to get a job working for Mongoose, you would go to George Bush, and he would make sure that you were <laughs> he would make sure you were not a Cuban spy working for Fidel. And if, if you passed his test, then you got hired, which is why they were completely infiltrated by Fidel spies. Um, there's uh, another movie on Netflix called The Wasp. I forget what the next word is, but if you if you search Netflix with WASP, you will get to see the Cuban version of their infiltration of CIA operations. Um, and you know, there's, it's a strictly a self defense, right? They they are infiltrating the military operations that the U.S. is conducting against Cuba that are all acts of war and completely against every international law that there is. Anyway. Um, in my notes, just by the way, Gaetan Fonzi is another ma major JFK researcher, and he says the Mongoose guys did it. I interviewed the head of the State Department um, intelligence, right? The, the State Department doesn't rely, want to rely on the CIA, so they have their own intelligence 
service with 3,000 employees. And I interviewed this guy, Tom Hughes. He says, oh, yeah, Mongoose did it. Um, he, actually, he didn't say it quite that overtly, but he said it. And LBJ, Johnson is getting interviewed, right, shortly before they murdered him. Johnson is getting interviewed, and some reporter says, it was a group of them, and one of them says, so come on, you don't believe that Warren Commission crap. And Johnson says his response to who do you think shot Kennedy is, we were running a damned murder incorporated down there in the Caribbean. That's Mongoose. And, you know, he's Hoover was... Johnson's best friend. So if, if Hoover knew everything the day after the assassination, which I believe he did, or nearly everything, uh, he may not have known who the shooters were, but he certainly knew that all of the Mongoose people were there. They interviewed all the Mongoose people, right? Um, Marita Lorenz and Sturgis both say that right after the assassination, the CIA, the FBI came to them and said, you, you were in Dealey Plaza, weren't you? And they both said, yeah, because if they'd lied, they'd have gone to jail for lying. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and Marita Lorenz says that she wanted to tell them about the station wagon full of guys, and they said, yeah, 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 we know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, so. This is so crazy. There's just so much going on there. I think the guy's name I was trying to remember was Felix Rodriguez. He's the one. Yeah, that's the guy. Felix, Felix Rodriguez is the guy. Yeah, still um, wear Che Guevara's watch. I uh, yeah, a, a very, 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 very dark and dirty guy. Anyhow, so um, in Dark Legacy, I present all of this evidence connecting Bush to all of these assassins, especially to Hunt. Um, and the, right, the, the, these FBI memos that I mentioned, oh, the, the um, I, I didn't go into it very much but um the day of the assassination like an hour 145 an hour and 15 minutes after the assassination and like 15 minutes after kennedy it was announced that kennedy was dead bush calls the fbi and i forget the name of the agent that he spoke with but the agent <laughs> as you'll understand in a second the agent says yeah, what do you want? And Bush says, oh, uh, I want to tell you that this young guy, uh, his name's Parrot. He was talking about killing the president. And the agent says, yeah, when was that? And Bush says, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> and the agent says, well, where was it? And Bush says, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> and the agent says, well, just in case we need to arrest, I mean, I mean, talk to you later. <laughs> where are you going to be? And he says, I'll Dallas Sheraton. And so there it is in the, the FBI memo that he was at the Dallas Sheraton the day of the assassination. The, uh, the guy who found the, who, the, the first memo, the memo that Hoover wrote, um, what's his name? It's not going to come to me, and it's okay. Joseph McBride wrote a memo, wrote an article in, in The Nation magazine. He called up George Bush. And of course, he didn't get to talk to Bush. He only got to talk to his, I think, campaign manager and said, uh, yeah, so, you know, I got this this memo and uh, it says that Bush got called into FBI headquarters the day after the assassination. And the guy says, well, hang on. And he comes back and he says, well, I wasn't our guy. And McBride says, yeah, well, so where was your guy? And Bush says, uh, uh, I must have been in Houston. 
and and I was working. Uh, which right, he wasn't in Houston. He told the FBI we have it documented that he told the FBI that he was staying at Dallas Sheraton. So you, everybody on the planet remembers any everybody who was alive remembers where it's like nine eleven, right? Everybody knows where and when they were when nine eleven happened, and everybody my age and older, which is pretty friggin' old. Um, remembers where and where where they were when they heard that Kennedy was murdered and George Bush doesn't, right. which puts him into company with E. Howard Hunt, who in, in the trial, E. Howard Hunt has told five different stories, all of which have been proven to be lies about where and what he was during uh, the Kennedy assassination. Anyhow, um, so it turns out that there's a Dallas Morning News advertisement from, I believe, the day before the assassination that Bush was speaking at the Dallas Sheraton the night before the assassination. So he was there the night before. And it's for some was, oil thing, right? Some kind of oil meeting? Yes, he was speaking as to an, he was, is everybody paying attention? Because this is red letters. He was speaking to an association of independent oil operators. He was speaking to an association of independent oil operators, and he was speaking as the independent president of the independent oil operation, um, Zapata Oil. Okay, so he told the FBI agent who he spoke to the day of the assassination, that when he told him that he was staying at the Dallas Sheraton, he told him that I'm George Bush and I'm from Houston and I'm the, the president, I'm an independent oil operator from Houston. So that's his CIA cover that day well. Roger Craig, tell people who Roger Craig is. He was a policeman on the scene who saw people getting out of a car, I believe before the shooting, if I remember, like something fishy happening in Dealey Plaza. And well, then... so, so I'll tell the story. He saw all sorts of things. He saw all sorts of things. But he saw Oswald getting into a green station wagon, a green Rambler station wagon, which belonged to Ruth Payne, which is the woman that his wife was staying with. His wife and Who kid has CIA ties or intel ties. Who, of course, right? Oh, she's very, 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 very clearly CIA. And the... Station wagon is being driven by David Morales. He's being driven by a guy. It's being driven by a guy who matches the description of David Morales, who is Operation Mongoose. He's the head. He's the Miami head of Operation Mongoose, right? He would probably be the guy that, well, geez, that I think, yes, I believe Bush and Hunt and stirred well bush and hunt would have would have answered to morales morales would have answered to shackley and shackley answered to lansdale and lansdale answered to do you know who lansdale answered to Phyllis? bobby kennedy wow wow is right talk about a kick in the gut yeah i've seen all this stuff where uh, richard helms who was the head of the cia and who complained it turns out in more than one place, he complained loudly that Bobby Kennedy was constantly on him. Um, once a week, at least, he heard, or was it daily? I forget. I don't remember whether it was every day or once a week. Have you killed 
have you have you come up with a plan to kill Castro yet? Have you come up with a plan to kill Castro yet? Have you come up with a plan to kill Castro yet? But I, you know, I found a, a very innocuous memo from McNamara saying I, I may be sending it. I don't know who his memo was written to. It might be Kennedy, it's President Kennedy saying, and it might be to the State Department, and it might be to somebody else in in defense that. Robert Kennedy wants Ed Lansdale. So I'm going to give Ed Lansdale, I'm going to take him off of Vietnam and give him to Robert Kennedy to work on Viet, to work on Cuba. Two months later, Operation Northwoods comes out. And it's Operation Northwoods says, if you know how to read the, right, it says the, the head of Mongoose, which is Lansdale, wrote Operation Mongoose, which is the plan to shoot down a plane load of students and blame it on the, the Cubans so that in order to justify an invasion of Cuba. So that was Northwoods. That's what he was involved. But wasn't Lansdale also involved in Phoenix in, in Vietnam as well? Or later, maybe that comes later. No, well, of course. It's it's much later. It's well, Phoenix is starting in I think sixty-five, maybe. And and maybe later than that. No, no, Lansdale. When Lodge wants to murder DM, Lodge says, I want Lansdale to come supervise the murder of DM for me. And it's all there in the documentation. McCone says, oh, hell no. Here's another one for your audience. Pick up your pencil, audience, and write down um, The Quiet American. That used to be on Netflix. I don't believe it's on Netflix anymore, but it's on Prime. Buy it. It it was one of the most important books written in the 60s. It was written by Graham Greene, probably the most successful and important writer of the period um, in any language. And it is about how Lansdale blew up cars in the marketplace in Saigon and blamed it on the communists in order to justify American intervention. That's what the movie is about. That's what the book is about. It couldn't be, it couldn't be more explicit. And McCone says to Lodge, you're not putting that guy on my payroll. He blew up cars in the marketplace in Saigon and everybody knows it. There's a memo between the head of the UN, Doc Amersholt, and the head of the State Department at the time, whose name I don't remember, about how, oh yeah, that's the guy from Quiet American. Wow. Uh, yeah, funny. yeah. Oh. So is it your opinion that Lansdale and um, E. Howard Hunt were in Dallas? And no, oh, but you, you don't know this. Proudy. You know well, who Fletcher Proudy I mean, Proudy there's is. allegations, right? I don't I think oh, no. Hunt oh, is like no. The, is the, is the tramp, right? No, 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 no. Okay. Proudy says, you see that picture? That's Lansdale. And you don't believe me? Here's the letter. Um, what's Krulak? General Krulak and I worked with Lansdale every single day. And I sent this picture to Krulak. And I said, to, and here's the letter I sent to Krulak with the picture. Hey, Krulak, who do you think this guy is? And Krulak writes back, that's Lansdale. I mean, look at the look at the arm, look at the haircut, look at the big class ring he's got on. That's undoubtedly Lansdale. 
so what's up with this picture? And, and Prouty writes back and says, uh, that was taken in Dallas the day Kennedy was murdered. And Kruak writes back and says, what was he doing in Dallas, LOL? Which is to say they both knew what he was doing in Dallas. Um, right, this is the guy who's the head of, he's the head of special operations. He's the guy who blew up car bombs in Saigon and killed, uh, Carl, killed up a marketplace full of civilians. So, you know, he's the chief murderer. And I'm telling you, McCone, when Lodge said, I want Lansdale to come work for me, McCone says, you're not going to put him, I'm not sending him because he don't work for me and I won't have him on my payroll because he's a world-famous scumbag. But And Dean Rusk says, well, we don't have to put him on anybody's payroll. We'll just send him. And that's the last you hear of it. You, but so, and then Dean is murdered and he's murdered by... And Lansdale names all of the CIA guys who can be tied to DM's murder. He names them all as his closest friends. Wow. He doesn't, yeah, anyhow, anyhow. So, so you just see the murder of DM and Kennedy. It was what, how many months before Kennedy was murdered was DM murdered? Was it in 30, 63, right? 30 days. 30 days, wow. Yeah. 30 days, and we're talking and we have time, I suppose, but so... <laughs> So Lodge is such a dark, dark, dark villain. Let's talk about Lodge for a minute. This is in my next movie. But So who killed Kennedy? Lodge is one of the people. Okay, Lodge. Lodge is... Let me think. If you, have you seen Moulin Rouge? Not in a long time. But you've seen it. And you yeah, know that... The one about, yeah, in Paris, yeah, right? and, yeah, and the Duke. There's a, a, the villain is this, guy, this Duke, right? And the Duke has an assassin who works for him. And every member of the aristocracy has a dirty thug who typically would be the chauffeur who drives the guy around. And when he murders a hooker, the, sh the chauffeur's job is to kill all the witnesses or pay off all the witnesses, but probably preferably murder them because, you know, there's no way to, the only way to effectively silence a witness is to murder them. But so they all have those guys. Right, who have to go around and clean up the messes that the aristocrats make one way and another, um, dead hookers or whatever. And so um, Lodge's driver was Kennedy's driver. Interesting. Okay, so Yarborough says that Kennedy's limousine parked in front of the grassy knoll. I have video testimony from four different news people who are just all of them, every one of them emphatic that Kennedy's limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll. All four of the motorcycle cops say that Kennedy's limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll. Gene Hill says that Kennedy's limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll. And Mal um, Malcolm Summers, who was right across on the other side of the street from Gene Hill. Anyway, Kennedy's limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll. When you have 20 witnesses, you, that's no longer disputable right so and that's the purpose of the zapruder film is to make it look like it was slow rolling through not stopping not even slow i mean it, you go through the, the zapruder film frame by frame which i have done and it's about eight feet a frame and i think look it up i think it's 16 frames a second but if you take 16 frames a second and multiply it by eight and do the math you can figure out that it's i think doing 15 miles an hour 
Um, in any case, don't take my word for it, please. It's not hard to do. Go through and calculate yourself. Just go frame by frame. They write the Zapruder film is on the internet, frame by frame. Look and see for yourself. Uh, yeah, that's so. Now, this is very, 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 very interesting. This is a thunderclap, right? The, the notion that the Zapruder film stopped in front of the grassy knoll and waited for the kill shot, which is what Yarborough describes. Okay, they sat and they waited for the kill shot. Well, that means that the Secret Service was in on it. And if the Secret Service were and the if the Secret Service was in on it, why didn't they poison Kennedy? Which would have been easy, right? You, you have the Secret Service. Kennedy had like eight doctors giving him injections. And you only have to get the bag out of one, from one of them. And you replace one of the vials with something that's lethal. The doctor gives the injection. You put the original vial back and you have a completely undetectable crime, and it's committed by two people, right? There were probably 150 people involved in the Kennedy assassination. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Three of the shooters got arrested. Oswald was supposed to get killed at the theater, and he didn't, and they bring him back, and he has conferences saying, I'm a patsy. I didn't kill anybody. No, sir. It just And, and they, find the, they find a Mauser, and it's carried in the news for a week, right? The, Assassination was just a disaster. And the, those guys know, right? An experienced operative knows that that's how that stuff works. Anytime you have an operation, it's why Lansdale had to be on the scene, right? Lansdale's a general and he's on the sidewalk, photographed on the sidewalk, walking past the three tramps who had been arrested behind the grassy knoll. E. Howard Hunt's son says that one of those tramps is him. Jack Anderson had the photograph analyzed by this fancy photographic company, Comtel, 3M. They said it's Hunt. Um, it, it doesn't look like Hunt to me, but I think maybe they, as they changed the Zapruder film, maybe they have also changed the photograph. I don't know. He's scrunching up his face, too, though, so he's not looking normal. He's like In one of them, he's scrunching up his face, and I'm trying to remember, is that the one... Um, that main, there's several photographs, right? There's like three or four. In one yeah. of them, he's scrunching up his face. In one of them, he's not. And in one of them, they have, you can't see his face whatsoever, but you can see his ear. And I, he, he wrote three autobiographies. And in the first one, he included a picture of him sniping in China. And he didn't, he didn't include that picture. And, and he doesn't talk about it in, in the text. But for all of his friends in the CIA who had heard the story that he was putting out, that he was the guy, I killed JFK, he included that picture in order so that they could all nod and wink and say, oh, yeah. But you get to see the ear very, very, very clearly. And I had a, the, the guy who took the pictures of Gary Webb, the PI, the private investigator who took the pictures of Gary Webb, explained to me that um, for people trying to identify people from photographs, ears are like fingerprints. And the ears match. And, you know, it's, it's not quite like a fingerprint, right? But it's in the same ballpark. It's, you know, a fingerprint. If, if you have a really good print, and I suppose if you had really good pictures of the ears, it would be different than what you have. But what you have makes clear that you don't look at those pictures and say, oh, it wasn't E. Howard Hunt. Look how different the ears are. You don't say that. You look and see how similar the ears are and say, well, you, you can't find a Hunt innocent on the basis of these photographs. Right, and it's hard to disguise too. So it's not just a fingerprint, but 
it's something that you would have to change your ear out or have surgery to really uh, mess up something that was there. So it's like a, it's a real telltale sign of a human being. Yeah. And do you think it was Woody Harrelson too in front of E. Howard Hunt? Woody Harrelson's dad? Oh no, certainly not. Oh uh, wait, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, I have. I remember distinctly seeing a picture of Woody Harrelson's dad and a picture of one of the tramps and thinking, oh shit, that's, that's him. Right. So it, it seems very likely given that, I don't know that that means he was a shooter. That just means he was there. I'm rather under the impression that E. Howard Hunt um, was the shooter He's, he brags, apparently, that he was the shooter. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're an hour and a half into this, so I'm not going to go on and on about it. I want to get to Roger Craig. Okay, talk about Roger Craig. So, I've got about 15 minutes. i got another interview at 3. So Okay, all right, good. Good. We haven't talked about JFK Jr., but we're not going to. And, you know, look. Doug well, you should tell people about that because yours is really the best documentary. Oh, about. By, only by a million miles. I, you know, I don't. I'm not interested. You don't, you don't brag, but it's better than everybody else's. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in bragging. I wish there was one that was better. You know, I wish I could tell you. Oh yes, read. You know, I can tell you. Read um, JFK: The Unspeakable. I can tell you. Read Plausible Denial. Those are both really solid books. I can't tell you that there's nothing remotely decent um, about JFK Jr. Um, well, I, actually, I take that back. He didn't die because QAnon said he's actually still alive and coming back. Oh, my God. He hit the water at 250 miles an hour, but he didn't die. Okay. Anyhow, Roger Craig is, is he was, I can tell the story in, in the time that we have. Roger Craig yes. was was a one of the few really heroic, brave, committed, he, you know, he, he was a law enforcement officer and he took it seriously. And it turns out that his uh, his uncle was a detective named Vaughn. And what's um, Garrison, you know, Garrison is a district attorney. He is used to calling up the police and having them say, how can we help you? And bending over backwards to help a district attorney prosecute guilty people, right? And he calls up the Dallas police and he says, um, I'd like the arrest records of everybody who was arrested in Dallas, in Dealey Plaza that day. And they say, uh, we, there are no arrest records. <laughs> and he says, what? And they eventually give him an arrest record that he looks at and says, this is, this is a red herring, right? This is something that has been concocted. And I could go on about it for 30 minutes and I won't. But please do keep your eyes out for the, my movie when it comes out because it will deal with that anyhow. So he's, he stews on this and, you know, he's just furious and he doesn't know what to do. And then one day he, he wakes up and he says, wait a minute, I know all these Dallas policemen. He went to Dallas and he got to know a bunch of them. And I, I'm going to call them up and because they probably arrested people and they probably remember a good bit and they can probably tell me. And so he, one of the people he calls up, of course, is Roger Craig. And Roger Craig talks to his Roger Craig says, well, I'll, I didn't arrest anybody, but I actually I saw two cops talking to a very, very dark-skinned Latino, that's Morales, that's David Morales, who was also seen by a different witness. Somebody meeting that same description was seen in the sixth floor of the school book depository, and Craig says he was driving the station wagon that 
Oswald got into. Anyway, um, Roger Craig says that Vaughn, his uncle, was in front. He was, you know, they heard the shots and he and a lot of the cops went running into the scene and Vaughn happened to go in front of the Daltex building, which is across the street from the book depository. And the crowd in front of the Daltex building had herds, heard shots fired, they said, and they the crowd handed him this guy and said, this guy came running out of the book deposit, out of the Daltex building. And look at him, he looks guilty. And so this is, this is what Garrison says that Roger Craig told him, um, that he couldn't, that Vaughn couldn't avoid arresting this guy because the crowd was so adamant. So as he's walking this guy across the street, the guy tells him that he's an independent oil operator from Houston. Well, there aren't two CIA guys with that cover, right? That is one cover for one CIA operative, and the one CIA operative whose cover is that he's an independent oil operator from Houston is George H.W. Bush. So Bush got arrested as a shooter outside the Daltex building, which explains why you can... In There were... Actually, I don't think I've posted this. Um, you can document 14 shots, two of them from the front and 12 from the rear, 12 shots from the rear that missed. One of them hit the wind, the, right, the metal top of the windshield. They hit Connolly twice. They hit the sidewalk and a fragment hit, uh, what's his name? The, the guy standing in, under the underpass whose name is escaping me. And somebody like saw a shooting gallery. It was just a massive yes. shoot fest. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but the, my point is that the guys shooting from behind were amateurs, right? Morales is shooting from behind and he's apparently not a, a skilled shot. And Bush is shooting from behind and he's apparently not a skilled shot. And Hunt is shooting from the knoll and he's a trained sniper. He is used to pointing people, pointing guns at human beings and calmly pulling the trigger. Um, and so that's what we have. Um, right. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Okay. All, a lot of that stuff is suppressed, oppressed. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, it's all, in, it's, it's all in the Warren Commission documents. Oh, really? It's, it's, so they oh. talk about Bush being there in the Warren Commission documents? Well, the, hang on. The parrot, I believe the parrot, the one where Bush called the FBI and said, uh, parrot, right. He, and, and they ask him, I believe that's from, I believe that that is from the Warren commission documents. Um, no, of course the, the, the Hoover memo was not in the Warren commission documents. It was among the first hundred thousand pages of declassified documents that were released. That that's where that showed up. And, and this guy, uh, Joseph McBride was researching a book that he was writing about movies. He was in the Hollywood library researching, because that's what he does is he writes about movies, but he got sick of that. And he walked over and said, well, what else you got that's interesting? And the librarian said, well, we got all these documents that were just released by the, uh, the assassinations review board. You might find that interesting. And so he's just, you know, monkeying around flipping through that. And he runs into George Bush's name anyway. Um, in the Warren commission documents are the FBI interviews with Oswald, and in that also is the testimony of one of the FBI agents who 
Oswald got arrested in New Orleans. And on a Saturday, the FBI agent went down to the jail to interview Oswald. And Warren asks the FBI agent, wait a minute, how do you explain you went down? And the agent says, oh, well, you know, he had a question. And the FBI often will respond to citizens' questions. And so we heard that he wanted to talk to an FBI agent, and I went down there to talk to him. And Earl Warren says, and I quote, you don't say, <laughs> which is, you know, <coughs> he, anyhow. So, Listen to this, um, uh, John, this guy, our listener Rodney says, his dad was a motorcycle cop in the parade. He said the Secret Service were on top of LBJ before the first shot and said that shots were coming from all directions. Um, yeah, that is reported that the Secret Service agent Johnson said that Yarborough didn't. And I'm not inclined. It did. Johnson said it. Yarborough didn't. So uh, I don't know whether it's true. It doesn't matter. It might be true. Um, geez, we had so much more to talk about. You might want to have me back on. because I think so. It's probably a really good idea. I think that we should just do one all about the death of JFK Jr. And who it benefited, right? Well, um, let me just say quickly that JFK Jr. had a flight instructor. There, there can't be any question that JFK Jr. had a flight instructor. He had broken his ankle. He had just had the cast taken off. He was walking on crutches. His editor at George Magazine, Richard Bro, went to lunch with him and said, so what are you doing this weekend? And he says, oh, I'm flying and to a wedding. And Richard Blow says he looked at him and said, dude, you're on crutches. And he quotes Kennedy as saying, don't worry, I have a flight instructor. His regular flight instructor's lawyer says that he lied, that the flight instructor, Morena, lied to the um, investigators. And uh, what are they called? Um, doesn't FDA matter. FDA FAA? Um, no, I think it's, I want to think it starts with an N. NTSB. NTSB. That's NTSB. His lawyer says he lied to the NTSB when he says that he called John Kennedy and John Kennedy said that he wanted to fly on his own. <laughs> and anyway, what's I think fairly clear is that Morena called him to say, I can't make it, but I can hook you up with this guy who you know because you've flown with him before. I believe that they had set John Kennedy up that he had flown with this guy before. This guy was programmed. He was programmed that when he heard the sign-off from the Martha's Vineyard Tower, he plowed the plane straight down. They should have. I talked to the guy whose name was on the NTSB report, and he said, oh, yes, um, that we, there, there's an alarm on that plane that would have gone off when it went below 200 feet. And, I, you know, I didn't say, well, I didn't demand that he then explain why it took 15 and a half hours. It was 15 and a half hours before they sent uh, search and rescue crews to 14 miles off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, which is where everything showed that it went down. Anyway, there's all of this evidence that they knew exactly where the plane went down before it hit the water. The head of the California Coast Guard told me that they would have known within three feet where the plane went down. Um, he he had taken the written test to get a um, a radar, right, flying blind on radar license. He had taken the performance test. The only thing he needed to do to get his final, um, f what are we going to call it? I forget. Um, it's not visual flight rules. It's, there's an, another uh, uh, It's uh, 
what is it? The IFR, instrument flight rules. Instrument flying, right. flying on instruments. The only thing you needed to do is to record hours flying with a flight instructor. That's the only thing. So he, there's no way that he would not have had a flight instructor on that plane. And the, the movie goes, it comes up with four or five more reasons why he would have had a flight instructor. Uh, what's his name? Paul Wellstone. The Senator Paul Wellstone, the only guy to, to come out against the, what was the horrendous, war. huh? The Iraqi war. He was against the Iraqi war. He was against the Iraq war. He was also against the horrendous law that, that Bush oh, passed. Patri uh, Patriot Act. He was also against the Patriot Act, and his plane contacted the tower and then plunged straight down. So it's it's parallel. It's, they use the same technique. The the flight and the the co-pilot on that plane is connected to 9/11, um, and died in the crash. And so, anyways, so you got to go, and I got to go, and uh, anyway, before we wrap up, John, there's a lot yes. here. There's so much information. Where's the best place for people to watch these films? Is it on? I have this one that I saw on. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna send Amazon. it. To, I'm gonna send it, and you're gonna post it. Perfect. So um, people look in the show notes. You can if you want to pay for it, and please feel free to pay for it. Go to Prime. I believe Amazon. I believe Amazon is carrying all of them. Okay. But in any case, if they want to watch it for free, they can go to your website. And I have to run right this minute, but I okay. will. This evening, Both dark legacies are on there, so I'll put the I'll put the links to that. But let's keep in touch. Have a happy holiday, and we'll do another show in January. Very yeah. good, okay. excellent. Yeah, no. What we have to talk about is Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson opposed the Vietnam War in 1961. We have that minute. I'm going to say this it, in the movie JFK. They make oh NSAM 273 Johnson reversed Kennedy's policies. If you get NSAM 273. Johnson says that Kennedy's policies in regard to withdrawal all remain in effect. I found a memo from the same, a meeting the same day where he tells Lodge, anybody who doesn't disagree with it should be fired. Wow. Yeah. And then for, so, so 15 months later, but they came to him and they said, we want you to escalate. We want you to escalate. And he said, no, I can't. I, I, I have to, um, I don't have authorization. Um, and, and if you take, if you try to get the Tonkin resolution passed, it won't get passed. And so then they came running into him and they said, oh, we've been attacked in the Tonkin Gulf. And he had had everybody's phones tapped because he knew all the guys around him were involved in the assassination. And he looked Cyrus Vance dead in the eye. Not that Vance was involved in the assassination, but he looked him dead in the eye. And he said, we weren't involved in any mischief out there, were we? That's a quote. And Vance didn't have the nerve to lie to his face to an answer to a direct question and he started telling him well yeah we started that shit we, we we were firing on them first and johnson ends the meeting by insulting the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff throwing them all out and refusing to do anything that and that's documented that after they brought him the first attack that was real he refused to do anything but then they handed that story to goldwater and goldwater starts giving speeches saying johnson's weak he, he let the north vietnamese attack us and he, he didn't respond to it and so johnson saw what was happening and when the next the, the second attack didn't happen there's no dispute among anybody who's knowledgeable there was no second attack but when he made johnson made all of the generals sign swearing that the second attack had happened and then he took those signed documents and he got the resolution passed and then he refused 
to escalate the war. And now he said, I have to win an election first. And so then he won the election. And then he refused to escalate the war until they threatened to murder his family. And I have managed to document that on February 7th, they threatened, they told him, the Cubans are going to shoot down your plane with your family on board. And that afternoon, Johnson approved the first bombing of North Vietnam. And three weeks later, he approved sending 30,000 Marines to Vietnam. 15 months later, 15 months after 273 that said, we are endorsing Kennedy's plans to withdraw to the nth degree. And 15 months after he told Lodge, fire anybody who disagrees, he completely caved. When there's no explanation for why. But uh, we'll talk about the rest. On yeah, send me all occasion. those links, John. I'll put them in the show notes. If people missed my uh, talk last night with Jim Smith and Igor Sarsky that got banned for copyright, you can listen to it on <laughs> iTunes. So go to iTunes and you can under William Ramsey investigates. Hopefully, this one will, one won't get banned, but it will. The audio will make it to my <laughs> uh, podcast. Please go there, give a five star review. John Hankey, thanks so much. Take care. Thank you so much for the opportunity.